joy to be with you today. How are you? Doing well? Every week, go to the various campuses, I meet new faces that I don't recognize, and that is always a super big joy for me. However you got here, we believe the Lord led you here, and, uh, and so it's great. We are in a series that we just began in 2 Samuel, so if you go in your Bible with me to 2 Samuel chapter 2, um, how many uh, you participate in voting uh, here as an American citizen, you, you participate in voting. Go ahead, raise your hand. Okay. Uh, it's a lot of us. Great. I think that's a stewardship that we have uh, as, as Christians and as Americans. It's a great honor that we have to be able to vote, to help select our leaders. And how many of you have had to vote for people you didn't want to vote for? Raise your hand. Okay, everybody who just raised their hand for the first probably raised their hand for the second. I have had uh, some candidates that I have followed that I initially uh, thought they'd be good and then they turn out to be stinkers. And you're like, oh, I can't believe I had to vote for that person. But it was, you know, it was the lesser of two evils that you had to select. And, uh, you know, no matter what candidate we vote for, no candidate will ever be perfect. They, they're human. They'll have certain things they do that we agree with, certain things they do or say that we don't agree with. I have had candidates that I have been out front and going, oh, I, I want that candidate. And then they turned out to be terrible. And then I'm just like, but it was better than my other option. And then I have had people that I did not support at first in the primaries and was forced to accept them later and then turned out to love them. Now that's rare, but it does happen. And in our system of government, we as Americans, we are the king of our nation. Do you know that? Now, I think a lot of times we, we tend to think, well, no, we have a president or we have governors and they're the kings. No, they're not. It's we the people, we're the kings. Right? The Constitution of the United States is, is what limits governmental power. It doesn't just give us, it, it doesn't tell the people what they can do. It actually tells government what it's not permitted to do. And the Constitution is different in our country than in many, many other countries. Ours, ours is the longest functioning constitutional system in the world today. It's, a, it's, an, it's an awesome document, right? But we have to select our leaders. And at times, we'll get good ones. And at times, we'll get not so good ones. And we have to keep coming back to say, all right, where do we go from here? Now, in the system of government that Israel has set up, it is a kingship. Now, it was that God always selected the leaders. Those were called the judges. But now the, the people wanted a king like all the other nations. God says, okay, I'll, 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 I'll pick your king, but it's not going to go well for you. There's going to be problems that happen. And, and so they get a king. They get King Saul. Saul reigns for 40 years. He had done some good things. He had done some not so good things. God ultimately removes the kingship from him and gives it. There's another king that's a anointed that God selected, and that king is David. But David has, has been running from his life because the first king has been after him to kill him. Saul's been after him. And 
David has tried to be faithful to the Lord. He's messed up at times. The story is not how David is the, is, is the perfect person. He's not. The, the Bible only talks about one perfect person. That's Jesus Christ. And everybody else has flaws. And that's what I love about the Bible because the Bible tells the story of their flaws. It just lays it out and says, hey, here it is. I love that. We don't have to hide our history. We have to know our history. We have to know where we came from, the good, the bad, and the ugly. That's what we need. And so we get, we get this leader who now has survived the, the death of the first king. And David is still around. He has mourned over the first king, and he's mourned over his best friend, Jonathan. Jonathan was a different type of man. He was the kind of man who cared more about what God wanted than he cared about his own power. He was, according to the dynastic principle, he was the one who should have been king. But he saw what God was doing and gave his kingship over to David. He says, I know God wants you to be king. Now, in our world today, most leaders will never do that. They are all about consolidating power to themselves. They do not want to give power away. But Jonathan was a different kind of man. He follows his dad even up onto Mount Gilboa. He's fighting the battles for his people. He sacrifices his life. He dies. And David's best friend is gone. Arguably the one David would have selected as his number two. What a kingdom that would have been. And now he's gone. So chapter 2 finds that the mourning of the people is done. They've mourned. They've sang the song of the bow, which you got to hear about last week. They have honored. And now David has some decisions to make of where he's going to go with governance. He does have the anointing of God on his life. It was Samuel the prophet who anointed him with the horn of oil and poured the oil over him when he was just a teenager. And that anointing has never gone away. He is the selection of God, but all the people don't know that. You know, I, I know here's what I want to do with my vote. And a lot of times I pray a prayer like this, and maybe you pray a similar prayer. Lord, help me to pray what I would pray if I knew all that you know. I want to say that again. Help me pray the prayer I would pray if I knew all that you know. But our lives are not laid out for us where we can see all the details of our every, you know, uh, of, the, of the whole pathway. We are people that have to walk step by step with the Lord. And when you walk a step, God illuminates a step. And you walk another step, God illuminates another step. But we never fully know what our lives are going to be and what we're going to do. We have to take steps of faith. And David's in that very same place he knows he's anointed king. He's going to have to take some steps of faith. The old king has been removed, and he wouldn't remove that king. He wanted God to do that. If he was going to be established as king, God was going to have to do it. Today, I want to talk about the progression of kingship. And as you think about it, I want you to think about in your life, 
whether God is king of your whole life. Does he have every area of your life? Is he enthroned over the totality of your life? Or have you given him portions of your life and you're still withholding kingship of some other areas? You're going to have to look inside as we go through this story and ask some questions of your own heart. It says... Then it came about that afterwards that David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up to one of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, Go up. And so David said, Where shall I go up? And he said, Go to Hebron. Now, Saul is dead. Jonathan and his two younger brothers are dead. There is no king in Israel. Philistines have overran all kinds of the area. So, so you've got this occupying force of the Philistines. You've got this young man who is now 30 years old. That's how old David is. And he has a call on his life. He has an anointing on his life. He has the ability to do the job. The Lord has been preparing him and putting him in the places where he could learn the skills and the abilities. He's got an army behind him. It's called, it's called what we'll later call it David's mighty men, but it's the, it's the ones who, remember, they were people in debt, and they were people who were misfits, and they were people who were oppressed, and people who hadn't paid their taxes, and they were all running. They gathered to David. David's got his guys, and they're warriors all. Lord, what do I do now? You said I'm king, what do I do? And so he inquires of the Lord. Can I tell you one of the smartest things that you can do when you're looking for direction in your life is get down on your knees and inquire of the Lord. If you are a young man or a young woman and you are trying to determine what the future holds for you, I would tell you spend time in fasting and praying right now. Get on your face and say, God, what do you want for my life? David says, what do I do? Do I go up to one of these cities? He asks the question, and what do you know? But God answers. He says, yes, you're going to go up. And he says, okay, Lord, if you want me to go up, tell me where. Where do you want me to go? He says, go to Hebron. Now, Hebron is one. It's the second most holy city in all of, uh, of Israel. At this time, it's one of the four most holy cities, and it's called a city of refuge. And it is a place that is of particular importance to the Jewish people. Here's why. It is believed to be the place where Adam and Eve were buried. It is absolutely a fact that Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and his wife and Jacob and his wife are all buried there. It is the place of the patriarchs, and it is to this day. Actually, today it's ran by the Palestinians, but there's, there's, a, there's a place where you could go to that is, it's, it's called uh, the area of the patriarchs. It's very, very important to them. It also is a place where the spies, remember when the spies come out of, uh, they, they come out of the, the land of Egypt and they go into the land of Canaan and they spy it out. And what was it called? It was called the land flowing with milk and honey. Well, where did they go? They went to Hebron. It was the spies. Remember, they, the, they, they carried off some grapes that were so large it had to be carried between two people. Yeah. 
because that's how great it was, but the only problem was there were giants in the land. Same place. This is Hebron. But this is the place, first off, God gave to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It was the place the spies spied out and knew that the place was good. And there was one of those spies, his name was Caleb, and Caleb was Uh, He was one of the ones who believed. Joshua was the other, and they said, we can go, we can take this because God's on our side. And when all the people died out, it was only only those that were 20 years of age and younger and Caleb and Joshua that got to go into the promised land. And when Caleb is 85 years old, strength is still in his body, and he comes to Joshua and he goes, hey, remember that land that we spied out? That's my inheritance. I want you to give me the land. That's Hebron. So it's a very important place. It's also the highest geographical place, even higher in altitude and elevation than Jerusalem itself. Jerusalem is not the capital city at this time because Jerusalem has not yet been conquered by David. So this is the very, very special place. God says, I want you to go up. I want you to go to a very strategic place that has great importance to the people of Israel. Go up. And he asks twice. You know, the Bible says with two or three witnesses, let every word be established. He comes to God and he says, okay, you talked to me once. I want you to talk to me twice. Tell me, where do you want me to go? And so David went up from there and his two wives also, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess and Abigail, the widow of Nabal the Carmelitess. Now, just because David has two wives here does not mean that we should have two wives. And I'll tell you why. Because one is enough. (laughs) And I do not mean that in a bad way. I mean in it, it takes enough of your attention To satisfy one woman, gentlemen, there is no reason to have another one. And God said from the very beginning, a man shall leave his father and mother, cleave unto his wife, singular, and they shall be one flesh. So biblically speaking, just because David does it here doesn't give us latitude to do it. One wife, okay? And make her the queen of your heart. But actually he has three wives. He actually has another wife that we're going to see. Her name is Michal, or Michael, some people call her. And she's the daughter of Saul. She is the sister of Jonathan. And she was one in the contest of David and Goliath. Now, that's not the way that most women want to find their spouse. I want to be one in a contest, right? But I do believe that women want to be one. They want to be pursued. They want to be fought for. There's something incredibly romantic about that. And if you have to fight for them to win them, you should also fight for them to keep them and tell them how much you love and treasure them. Because what you pay for, you will value. What you work hard for, you will value. My wife turned me down nine times before she became my wife. But what I have, I would have gladly allowed myself to be turned down 90 times. She's worth it. So don't get multiple wives. (laughs) And David brought up his men who were with him, each with his household, 
and they lived in the cities of Hebron. Remember that Ziglag was burned. They didn't have a home anymore the way they had one. Their home was burned. It made sense to say, we should go to a new area now. And so they do. Now, Michael, his wife, is not with him. Whenever, whenever he married her, she loved him. But he has gone running from Saul for a long time, and he had to leave her with her dad, who turns around and gives her to another man. We're going to see that in a couple chapters. And I think there's something going on in Michael or Michal that, that's like, David, when are you going to come for me? You didn't come for me. You picked up new wives. That will not go well for you. But that's what happens here. And we just need to know the background that he has another wife of the house of Saul. He is very, your marriages at that time were something that would connect you with other kings. He would have the right to say, I am David and I am married. I was the king's son-in-law. That would give you more political power and clout. But he doesn't have his wife. He has two other wives. And, he's, and, and, and so he moves in Hebron. He moves the area where these people are from. So now you, now you have political connections with their families as well because people want to be connected to the leader. Same way in politics today. He takes his men he has his army. He has all of his guys who follow him. He has, you might say, his disciples. People that look at him and go, hey, this is the man we want to be king over us. And now look what happens. They're, now in, they're down in the area of Judah, and the men of Judah came, and they anointed David king over the house of Judah. He is final. This is the first time we have King David. It was, it was prophesied, but now it's finally come to be. And these in Judah, Judah always thought independently. I love the fact that we have our states and we have our national government. And our states get to make some decisions about the culture we want to have. This is how we want Indiana to roll. We're Hoosiers. These are our values. Well, in a sense, that's what Judah does. Judah says, these are our values. We know... We know who we are. Now, that's an interesting thought. Do you know that in Genesis chapter, I think it's chapter 49, yeah, 49, 8 through 12, there is a, there's a prophetic word that says that the scepter of rule is never going to leave the house of Judah. Now, that's important because they're looking for the Messiah, right? And, and so the Messiah has to come through certain bloodlines, has to come through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And, and, and it's got to work all of itself right. And it's got to go through Judah. Well, for Judah to step up and say, listen, we've had a king under Saul for 40 years, and we're going to have another king, and we're going out to select that king. And by the way, we happen to know because his dad is among us as, as Jesse the Bethlehemite, we happen to know the story of Samuel who anointed him king. We're anointing David to be our king. And they pick him. They, these men of Judah, these are the elders of Judah. They have the political ability to do this. And they select for themselves the hero of Israel. 
30-year-old David. And they told David, saying, it was the men of Jabesh-Gilead who buried Saul. Now, David's getting a little bit of backstory that he was not aware of. David would have a question like, okay, you're anointing me king, and I accept. But I have a question. Where, what, what happened with Saul? I know he died. I have heard a story. I, I need filled in here. And they said, yes, he died. And yes, his body, his body and his son's body, they cut their heads off, their feet and their hands off, and they pinned them, the Philistines, who nailed them to a wall. It was the people of Jabesh-Gilead who at one time Saul had saved when they were going to get their eye plucked out. If you remember this story of Nahash, he, was gonna, he said, I'm going to rule over you. You're going to be my slaves. I'm going to pluck out your eye. And they said, well, could we see if there would be a savior who would rescue us? And, and that savior was Saul. Saul went and raised an army, defeated Nahash, saved the people of Jabesh Gilead. And they made a covenant and, and said, we're going to follow Saul. So even when Saul is dead, his head is cut off, his feet and hands cut off, pinned to a wall, the men of Jabesh Gilead said, Saul was good to us. And so they went in the night, gathered a group of men together, and they went over there and they said, we're not going to let you put his, his body on that wall. And they pulled that body off. They brought it and buried it under the tamarisk tree in honor. And so it was David who's now being filled in on this story and, and talked, uh, talked to you about these wonderful people in Jabesh Gilead. And David sent messengers to the men of Jabesh Gilead, and he said to them, May you be blessed of the Lord, because you have shown kindness to Saul, your Lord, and have buried him. What you have done is so honorable. You have, you have fulfilled your oath. And, may, and now may the Lord show loving kindness and truth. This is the, the concept of grace and truth. And I also will show this goodness to you because you have done this thing. Now, therefore, let your hands be strong and be brave, be valiant, for Saul your Lord is dead, and also the house of Judah has anointed me king over them. He's given them two reasons why they should follow him. First off, you are people of honor, and I am, I am a person of honor. Number, number, number one, you guys, your, your king is dead. Your, your oath to him is fulfilled. Well done. You were faithful even when he was dead. You were faithful to the end. And he says, number two, I believe people of honor should follow people of honor. And he says, he says, hey, Judah has chosen me. Will you choose me too? Now, I love the fact that the idea of will you choose me, I don't like people to tell me what to do. Is there anybody in this room who doesn't like people to tell you what to do? Okay, I saw David Liddy's hand go up first, right? It was like the fastest hand that could get up there. Okay, I'll be honest, I don't love people to tell me what to do. I, I have this part of me, it's, uh, it's called free will. But I do like the ability to choose things for myself. I'll, I want the ability to choose my leader. I want the ability to say, that king has my heart. And the people of Judah said, look, 
David, you have our heart. We're making you king. But the people of Jabesh Gilead now have to make a determination. Will you choose David as your king? And I would like to tell you, they go, you know what? What a great way that you came to us to talk to us. We really like that you honored us for honoring our king. We, 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 we think that you're a great hero, David, but it does not tell us that they made him their king. Actually, verse 9 tells us something else happened. Now, let's read what we didn't imagine was going to happen in this nice story. Verse 8, but Abner, the son of Ner, commander of Saul's army, had taken Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and brought him over to Mahanaim. Now, we get some characters here that we have met before, one we haven't really met before. Let's look at who they are. And when I say characters, I know that makes it sound like a fictional story. It's not a fictional story. This is a true story. So here's, here's, here's the, the players. Number one, there's Abner son of Ner. This is actually, uh, this, this is most likely believed by biblical scholars to be Saul's uncle. And as Saul's uncle, he is from the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin was the one that has had the kingship for 40 years. Abner has been a player in politics in Israel for a long time. Abner was there the day that David slew Goliath. Abner has been faithful, and he has been the general of Israel. He has always had power. And he sees that Judah has taken David as their king, and he has another thing in mind. He says, no, Ishbosheth is going to be the king over Israel, and he anoints him king. Who is Ishbosheth? Three of, of Saul's sons were killed up on Mount Gilboa. Saul and his three sons. There is a fourth son. He is the younger of the sons, and his name is Ishbosheth. Do you know what his name means? It means man of shame. Now, that's not the kind of leader that you would probably pick. I have a question why is he not out there with his three brothers? Why did he not die on Mount Gilboa defending the people of Israel? But I have another question. Why didn't Abner die? Abner's the general. How did he live and the king died and all the princes died? Did he run from the battlefield? Did he limp off? When everybody started to panic, was he one that realized the whole battle was going south? How is this guy alive? Why didn't he die on the battlefield? Well, I, I don't know. My mind starts to wonder, is this kind of a nefarious guy? Is he a guy that just realized, hey, this is a lost cause. Let's get off the battlefield. Sorry to hear that our king died. In whatever capacity, Abner says, David is not going to be king. Now, did he know that God's anointing was on David? I 100% believe he knew that. So then the question is, why would you do something opposite of what God wanted done? Why would you do something opposite of what God wanted done? Why can't people just do what God wants to be done? Well, I mean, the truth is, is every one of us have to say, yeah, Abner's an idiot. 
and then realize we're an idiot too because we all are fighting to retain power in our own lives. We all, we all have, we talk a good game, but in the end, there's some areas of our life that we want to maintain the throne and the kingship rather than allowing who God wants to sit atop that throne. When he props up Ishbosheth, he is absolutely outside the will of God. And he takes and makes this man king. Notice Ishbosheth is not like, I want to be king. I want to be king. Abner goes, You'll be king. Why? Because Abner can control Ishbosheth, he's got way more power. He's not worried about the anointing on David's life. He's not worried for what a faithful warrior David has been. Remember, he's killed his tens of thousands. David is the hero. David has the heart of the people. Most people probably wanted David. And yet, Abner sets up someone different. Tells us that one of the areas I told you before, did the men of, Jish, uh, uh, of Jabesh Gilead come and follow David? Well, look what happens in verse nine. And he made him king over Gilead. That was the very Jabesh Gilead. So these men do not follow David at that time. And over the Asherites or the tribe of Asher, and over Jezreel and over Ephraim and over Benjamin, even over all of Israel, it's Judah against all. And Ishbosheth, Saul's son, was 40 years old when he became king over Israel, and he was king for two years. The house of Judah, however, followed David. And the time that David was king in Hebron over the house of Judah was seven years and six months. We have two kings in Israel, we have a divided kingdom. What happens with divided kingdoms? Civil war. Right? A house divided against itself cannot stand. We've got two leaders, which means we have two visions. And when you have two, that's the word die, division, division. We've got a mess that's brewing in Israel because Abner has set up a different king over a great portion of the kingdom. I told you before that we don't always get to see all the way down the road of our life. David is walking obedience out before the Lord step by step. Do I go up? Where do I go? Go to Hebron. What about the Jabesh Gileadites? Try to win them. What about what Abner's done? Just rule what I've given you. David doesn't force people to follow him. He wins them through good leadership. I have a question for you today. As we look at all of our leaders in the world, all our politicians, Republicans, Democrats, independents, we're all left wanting. Oh, I'll still vote for who I think will be the lesser of two evils, but I will always look at our politicians and go, it's our best choice. So I'll make that decision. I'll use my power to vote. But when I look at Jesus, I long for him. 
because there's nothing wrong in him. I can even look at David, and I can see, oh, he was a good king. Boy, guys, this book is going to lay out what a human he was. His mess is all over the place. We'll just have to tell you the true story of the anointed king who messed up a lot. And yet he is not who we're looking forward to. We're looking forward to Jesus, who was going to be the son of David. The, the Messiah had to come through the line of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Judah and David. There would come a king who would ask to be the king over our whole heart and for us to reserve nothing from him. We call him and we sang about him today. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. This series is about thy kingdom come, your kingdom come, Lord. It's the prayer Jesus taught every one of us as believers to pray that, Lord, we want your kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. We want to make earth look like what we know heaven looks like, where your will is done, where you're the leader over it all. And yet here on this earth, we come together to vote. Yeah, we do that. But you have power over one person today, truly power over one person, you. And, and what are you going to do with the power over your own life? Are you going to submit it all to Jesus or are you going to only give him lordship over pieces of your kingdom, of your heart? Lord, you can have my checkbook, but you can't have my sexuality. You can have my dinner table conversations, but you can't have my entertainment on my TV. You can have your way in my church, you just can't have your way with my vote. We, we surrender pockets to him, and I think it's a terrible idea, but I'm guilty of it myself. Today, I want to I ask you, can we ask God if he would be king over all of us and show his spotlight on our heart to say, this is an area you need to make me king over here. Sometimes we'll be in a state where he, he's got most of the kingdom, for a long period of time, there is something we call progressive sanctification, where we're going to look like Jesus eventually when we're dead. But in the meantime, it's that act of turning things over to him and his lordship. Could we just have a, a, a moment of silence? You're with us watching online. Maybe you're listening to this in your living room, your car right now. If you're in your car, don't close your eyes. Anywhere else, just bow your heads. And I want you to just examine your heart. I'm going to ask our prayer team to come. Our worship team can come. Don't play yet, though. I want you to say, Lord, where are you king and where are you not? Where are you, my king? Where are you not?
Ask him to help you to surrender. Ask him to convict you. 